Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives and educational insights to make sure you thrive in every moment. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. This episode is a complete mix of two themes, including the journey of a job seeker and then the process of developing a team culture. Darby Dexter is a leadership and development consultant and currently is a job seeker. Darby's career plans were ruined due to COVID and over the last six to four months, he has been applying for roles and building connections. We sit down with him to unpack his experience, what has worked and how he has kept motivated. We also explore his transferable skills from his life as a facilitator in the leadership space as he shares his valuable insights on building a team culture from his experience as a soccer player and a facilitator. We highly recommend that you follow Darby's LinkedIn updates to gain access to his Let's Talk series and his insightful updates and articles. Hope you enjoy. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Well, let's kick things off. Three, two, one. Darby Dexter, welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. How you going, buddy? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Tice. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Danny, how you going, mate? Yeah, going well. Welcome to the podcast, Darby. Looking forward to um, hearing about your own career journey and delving into some um, really cool topics today. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Now, mate, when I, when I was thinking, when we, we, we had a coffee, listeners, Darby and I, and we were keen to uh, get him on the show because he has a very unique career story so far and is one of those individuals, when you talk to him, he really demonstrates his, his purpose and his passion and demonstrates a lot of self-awareness for your age too, mate, I think. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm a little bit um, torn between which angle I want, I'd love to start with, but, but let's, I suppose, focus on what you're currently going through at the moment. So you're currently a, a job seeker as a, as a young, young person looking for um, your next career move. Can you talk us about your journey around that so far? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the pump up. Feel great after that. Um, <laughs> Mate, yeah. nothing but truth. Thanks, Tice. Um, yeah, basically, I I actually planned to spend 2020 um, living in Argentina, and um, that was a a nice plan until the pandemic struck. And luckily, my my vigilant mother was um, kind of in my ear for a couple of weeks, trying to get me back home and. Eventually, I listened to her, which was a great thing. So I guess for listeners, listen to your mums out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, since I got back, I spent the year doing things I was really passionate about. And then I started casting my mind forwards towards, okay, it's probably time to get back into career and finding a job. And I probably started that in December last year. I started with a pretty narrow scope. Um, I've spent a lot of my my life in the sporting arena um, as a player and as a coach and then also as a facilitator. And I wanted to start there and very quickly realised that the sporting industry is going through some really big challenges with, with COVID and um, a lot of people getting laid off and um, that I should probably broaden my horizons and... Basically, I've spent the last four or five months looking far and wide for work. It's been pretty challenging. I think that for me, it was my first um, initiation to feelings of you know, really understanding how much my self-worth is tied into what I do. Um, I think growing up in sport has had an impact on me in that way because you know, you're constantly being achievement focused and trying to drive to the next goal. Um, and there's really tangible goals like that. So as, as a job seeker, that can be really challenging because there isn't any linear path. There isn't a really clear, um, clear way to get to the end point. Um, 
So yeah, I had days where I was really flat and felt without purpose and um, that was really challenging. But I think it was a pretty cool challenge as well because I then realized that I had to be really proactive and make the job search basically my purpose um, until the time comes that I find a role that, that I love and I can really sink my teeth into and, um, and continue along with my career. But you know, that, that was a really important distinction that I made and a change that I made um, personally that really helped me when I was feeling pretty flat about the whole situation. And mate, when it came to this notion of starting to apply for roles, um, and obviously the the roller coaster that is job searching. So thinking like you're about to land something, and then perhaps you don't, or you don't hear back. How did you really double down on that resilience piece and feel like those days where it felt hard to push push on, um, but keep moving closer to to landing that that role that you're really keen on yeah it's a good question i think to be honest the formal application route i found far more challenging than going to my network and really going through that process um so particularly on those days where my resilience was possibly in low stores and i just you know just didn't feel like doing it again for another day. Um, I, I found that going to my network was the best thing for me. So what going to my network meant was calling people that I have, you know, had a really cool relationship with in a professional sense, some not in a professional sense and having a chat and catching up, which I really enjoyed. And I found those relationships um, really fulfilling and made me remember how value I can, valuable I can be in the workforce. So that, that was a really important first part. Um, and then basically asking them, is there anyone that you know that you think is worthwhile me catching up with? Um, is there anyone you know who has um, openings in, you know, I was looking in the learning and development space, the people and culture space. Um, do you have any leads for me basically? And the thing that um, really blew me away about that process was everyone's just so happy to help. Um, there are so many people, I really felt like a lot of people were in my corner and kind of pushing me on, um, which is an awesome thing. And, and such a, you know, like that's kind of what life is about um, on a deeper level, you know, building relationships where people are there to support you and really care about what happens to you in your life. Um, but on days like that, going through the network piece of things just helped me immensely. And it just allowed me to um, feel confident and hopeful. And I'd set up meetings off the back of it and yeah, just get out on the front foot. And that was me being really proactive, even when maybe I didn't have the confidence to, you know, jump on, jump on LinkedIn or seek and put in a formal application. Um, that, that made a world of difference. And, um, still makes a world of difference and it's it's how I've managed to get myself into a good position um, I, don't, I don't want to undermine the importance of formal applications because they're they're obviously most of most of the battle like you, you eventually will have to fill one out but um, for me that was that was a really great way for me to um, tackle that challenge of just you know sometimes feeling flat and sometimes feeling like oh, I just, just wish I had a role today. This is, this is really, really challenging. It's really interesting because there's the, there's the piece around networking for, you know, career progression or networking to build those connections. But then when you're really going through a tough time, sometimes your network's just great to lean on for support. And, you know, sometimes we don't think about that when it comes to career, but, using that network to get people in your corner to build your esteem and confidence back up. So I think, you know, that illustrates a great example for listeners and it's really awesome to hear that it worked for you as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're spot on. And the a major learning that I've taken from that is that by me being really open about, you know, where I'm at, both 
you know, in the job front, but also, you know, internally, you know, how I'm going with that challenge. Um, yeah, by, by being vulnerable, people were just, they weren't just happy to help, but they were, you know, really, really keen to help me out. Um, and that, that is obviously a, um, a truism of relationships generally. You know, you, I can cast my mind to moments where a friend of mine has been really vulnerable and open with me. And I left that conversation feeling like, wow, that he really trusts me. And I feel like our connection, connection really deepened through that. Um, like that, that's just, that's how relationships work. And um, when it comes to the job, the job search, I don't know there are many people out there who haven't had a blip on the radar where they've, they've really struggled. Like, you know, whether it be, they might not have had a period of unemployment, but most people have been in a job that they don't enjoy and, uh, you know, might feel trapped or um, feel burdened by the responsibility or overwhelmed or whatever it is. Um, by having people you can be honest with that about is the first step to either getting out of that situation or kind of shifting your mindset to be able to deal with it. Um, so yeah, Dan, you're spot on. Like that, that was the, that was the biggest takeaway for me. Just yeah, be, be really open about where you're at. It doesn't have to be two potential employers, but you know, getting people in your corner means being really authentic and honest with, with who you are and where, where you're at. Mm. The other great thing I see in this kind of situation is I always encourage young people and um, students or at work or, but even in general, myself, I try to think of it this way is if someone wants help from me, I always try to give it because then if I'm ever in a situation where I'm going through the trough, then you, you know, you've sort of, built those relationships with people where you've helped them and you've probably got those relationships where you've helped people before. So then they're in your corner when you need it. And then now they've helped you, they know you're going to be there again in the future when they maybe go through a rough patch. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's spot on, but I, I think that there can be a bit of a, um, an idea about networking and business relationships that they're very transactional. Mm. Um, and, I just, I think that it's, you know, it, it often can be like, that's, that's a very real, you know, prospect for, for a lot of relationships in that way. But at its core, they're, they're still just relationships. And you think about what the way you interact with your friends and, you know, partners and your family, like that's how, that's how it works. You help each other out when they need it. And you want to do that because you care about them. And that's, that's what kind of, it's what gives me energy being able to help people that I care about. Like that's a, a pretty, pretty awesome thing. So yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Dubs, I'd, I'd love to ask you, mate, when, when you were entering these conversations, maybe the ones that you were leaping into that you didn't necessarily have a relationship or connection with a lot of the young people that I speak to when it comes to networking, they go, what am I to offer in the conversation? Um, how did you, kind of break the ice in your mind of going, okay, you know, I'm going into this conversation with, I don't necessarily know this person. Um, you know, what can I bring to the conversation? Was it just purely the, the vulnerability piece and the, and coming at it from a purely authentic um, space? Like, can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, I think, I think there's a, there's more to it than just the vulnerability piece. Um, so I think that um, because I've worked in a, in a space that's basically centered around self-development and people getting better and helping people and teams get better. Um, and that's very much at the core of who I am outside of the workspace. Um, and, you know, one of my mates has a podcast and he often asks guests on his podcast, um, are you proud of yourself? And when he mentioned that to me, my instinctive answer was yes, I am. I'm really proud of myself and I actually, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the person that I am. And that, that allows me to, you know, even if the actual work professional outcomes aren't there in that particular time, which they haven't been for the last few months, 
I, I still have, you know, real confidence in myself that, you know, if I go into a conversation like that, that there's value there for, for the person sitting on the other end of the table. So the vulnerability piece is huge to just be um, approachable and human and, you know, to connect, but at, at the underlying level, um, at its core, I'm just, I'm really, um, I have self-belief um, and I don't know where my career is necessarily going to go, but I believe that I'm going to have a meaningful career and that I'll, you know, do really well, whatever re- really well means to me. Um, and I think that um, positive association with the future allows me to think, well, you know, yeah, maybe right now I can't tangibly offer this person something. Um, but I'm pretty confident that being connected will be of value to both of us moving forward. You just never know. Um, so I think that's kind of um, the reason why going into those networking conversations, I feel really, really good and, and like I belong at those conversations. Were there any other practical things you did while you were in the, the rough of that job search? that you'd recommend to listeners like practical tips that you did daily? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I was the best at it. I don't, I don't think that I really nailed it to be honest. Um, like I'd spend a lot of, a lot of time on LinkedIn, which, you know, sometimes could be really good for me. Um, and sometimes could be really bad for me. You know, it is a social media, um, site, so it can have its drawbacks for sure. Um, but I guess, I guess around making it my purpose, that was probably the best thing that I did. And what that looks like is, you know, waking up early and, and getting started. Um, you know, I had a lot of ideas about a lot of different things. So having a pretty clear list of things that I wanted to kind of tick off throughout the day. Um, and that's, that's my achievement focused side of me trying to um, squeeze achievement out of, out of the day. Um, so it's not necessarily like I wouldn't advise that to everyone. You know, if you're, if you can go through it and, you know, not feel too down on yourself and not be worried about those, um, like a lack of tangible achievements, that would be great. And I'd, I'd consider, I'd love to be able to say that for myself, but I think having clarity about all the things I want to get done, um, and, really allocating time to doing it. So, you know, I work best in the morning, so I wanted to start by nine and up until around 12.30 when Seinfeld's on, on TV and I want to sit down for lunch, that's the time when I'm going to really get my stuff done and do things. Um, it makes me feel like I'm on the job and, you know, if I've got a meeting, it means putting on a shirt and, and going in and, and doing that. It, that made me feel feel good and these are small things but just um yeah like being 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 out of work and looking for work um it's not a it's not an uncommon experience and it's not a indictment on your character um but you just need to find you need to be creative and find different ways to bring it to life and you know be really honest with yourself when it's when it's not working and and change things up. It's like in any job, things aren't going to go well all the time. And um, sometimes you might feel those things, the exact same things that I've been feeling throughout the job search, but um, yeah, build, building a, a structure around the day is what kind of helped alleviate some of that stress. Hey mate, also when it comes to the transferable ability of your, your skills. So can you talk about your, your previous experience and kind of, because your, your previous experience in my eyes is quite unique for your age um, and how that relates to the, some of the areas that you've started to explore and, and perhaps the, those own like career stories that you've, that you've been able to create yourself to, to demonstrate to your network, how, how valuable you could be in the, in the space. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's something that I've um, battled with a little bit over the last few months. Um, so I, I guess my background began in soccer and I probably, I think it's about eight years now that I've been playing semi-professionally 
um, and coaching alongside that. So those are my first two jobs, essentially. They were my part-time jobs. And I, I'm a huge believer that um, sport can provide so much. You know, I, I think that I experienced dealing with pressure before, before my, my peers who didn't play sport. Um, I think I experienced dealing with conflicts before them as well. I think I know how to be a part of a team and help drive people to get better um, and how to deal with someone giving you feedback about how you can get better. Um, I, I think a huge part of my identity is tied up in sport. So when naturally when I tell my story, it's, it's hard to extricate the, the sporting background from my story. But I think the, the important thing is that I am not defined by it and it is something that has given me certain tools that I've now gone and explored in a professional sense. So, you know, I worked at leading teams and we were working in the high performance space. So how can you get your team to be high performing? How can you get the best out of your individuals? So this is all the stuff that I feel like I've been trained to do since I was a kid. Um, and it continues along at, at Red Sky where I worked in leadership and communication and facilitating sessions. You know, I've, I've been in those rooms so many times um, and then trying to get all of that and take it to the next step of my career. You know, one that you know, might be a little bit more corporate or you know, might still be in sport, but something a little bit different. But those skills are, are so clear to me that they're, they're real and they're applicable across the board. Um, and yeah, I guess you know, I've, I've been running a, a program at Heidelberg United with the female program. And that's been absolutely awesome. And I've, I've loved every bit of it. Um, basically, I go in and facilitate sessions with the under 13 girls, the 15 girls, 17, 19, the senior women, the coaching group. Um, and I'm managing key stakeholders who are invested in their club's success and wanting to be better and building a culture where the girls love going to football training and really feel fulfilled being a part of their team. And um, that's been such an awesome job and, and another step in that same direction of, you know, I'm building my case as an expert in leadership in culture and learning and development in these sorts of areas. And yet I guess no, there are some people who'd say, you know, don't focus too much on your sporting background. Um, that can be alienating to some people who aren't so into that. Um, but for me, I think the key is to actually explain what that means tangibly for whatever you're going for. So I don't think the fact like my soccer experience takes away from my ability to go for a corporate job. I think if anything, it, it's part of the reason why I'd be really good at it. So I think crafting that whole story like that, to me, that story has, has flow and it, it all fits in my head together nicely. And I don't know where the next step will be, but that all kind of comes together to capture who I am and what I can do in a professional sense. What drove your interest in getting into the high performance culture work and the, you know, doing the work with leading teams, coaching and facilitating? What sort of sparked that for you? Yeah, so it was my, my penultimate year at uni and I was going through the process of applying for internships and being, you know, I went, went to a, high achieving school and then a high achieving uni and at that uni basically you get told of you know a handful of places that you should be applying for for internships and then grad roles and then you know working there to get the name on your cv and to go out that was kind of the path i was told um and i was going through that process and i felt i felt really alienated at the time um i remember thinking yeah, this this doesn't feel like me I'm really concerned and apprehensive about, you know, will I find a career that I'm as passionate about as I am with, with the soccer stuff? Um, and I was telling a mate one day and he, he said, 
you should just email places that you like. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a, a cool idea. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and I'd read about leading teams in a paper, I reckon in 2012, there was, there was an article about their, um, their work with the Sydney Swans and creating the Bloods culture. And you know, I'm a big footy fan. And I was like, that sounds like such a cool, cool thing. And I remember that and I was like, oh, I'm going to flick him an email. And I wrote a, an email, which is essentially a cover letter. And for the first time, the cover letter felt like I was actually saying what I, what I feel and think. And I was like, hey, I love, really love what you do. This is what I do. Um, I'd love to catch up. And one of, one of the directors caught, said, yeah, like, let's, let's catch up. And um, I caught up with him and he basically told me there was, there was nothing available. You seem impressive, but there's nothing really here for you. Um, and I kept, you know, we kept the conversation going and I mentioned I was interested in, in a mentoring. I was interested in creating a mentoring business at the time. Um, and he said, Oh, that's, that's cool. We haven't really done anything coordinated in the high school space for a while. Um, how would you like to you know, see if there's something there for us? Um, and that's kind of how it started at leading teams. And I think, um, you know, obviously your, your podcast is, based in Korea and that simple bit of advice that, you know, email places that you like, or, you know, actually think about what you might want to do rather than what might be good for your career. Um, that was the best bit of advice I got. Um, and interestingly enough, I'm now in this process now coming back to the very jobs that I initially was looking at and felt really alienated by um, because now I, I have a really strong understanding of what I'm looking for. And um, they actually, you know, these big businesses provide really good opportunities in learning and development and, you know, leadership and culture in places that I, you know, I'd love to work in. And so it's quite funny how it's, you know, come somewhat full circle. Um, but yeah, following that, that passion and, you might not know what your passion is and might have read a little article like I did. That's like, that's a better place to start than just where you're told to start necessarily. Mm. You can find the light bulb anywhere, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do remember that, that coffee I've been for, I don't actually drink coffee, but I've been for coffee with a lot of people and ordered a lot of chives that I didn't necessarily want to drink. Um, but that was one of the, one of the best chives that I drank against my will <laughs> <laughs> mate i love that the um the notion of just actually reaching out and and it's the part that i'd love to highlight too is that when you were saying that when you were writing your cover letter like it just came so natural because of your enthusiasm your passion it's from your perspective danny like when whenever i've worked with individuals on applying for jobs mm it always seems to come so much more natural when you're in that proactive state of going like, I want to work for this company because of this reason, like it, it, and the values align, the passion aligns, as opposed to going, these are the jobs that are open. I need to apply to them because I'm looking for work. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's always going to be easier to express yourself if you've got that light bulb on or you've had that, you know, wow, aha moment. And you're like, wow, I'm going to contact, you know, or you see a job and your eyes light up and you get all, you get a bit excited, you know? Mm. Um, so it's always going to be easier to write the cover letter that way. But I think as well, when you do apply for jobs, um, it's always good to just try to align your own values and your own enthusiasm to the role as much as possible. And sometimes in some roles, you have to dig a little bit deeper to find that alignment. Mm. Yeah. I, I, um, I actually think that the cover letter and the application process is really tough for that reason, because at, at the end of the day, you normally don't know what, you know, a company espouses certain values and some, in some cases it's completely true. In other cases it's completely untrue and there's everything in, in the middle. Um, but I, I've found it really hard because in reality, I, I have no idea what, exactly it is yeah i don't know what what it's like being in that environment um 
I don't know what the job will be like exactly. Um, and I found that really hard because you're writing this letter and you're, you're trying to convey to someone why you'd be of value to their business, um, why you'd be great for that role. Um, and the truth is it's, it's a hard thing to, to say. You know, it's hard to just say that, you know, I think that I might love this job and if I love it, I'm going to give it my all and I reckon that will be enough. Uh, that that's kind of what I think, but yeah, you know, it's hard to say that. You have to, you know, find specific, real examples of you know what about your past has made you ready for this job. Um, I, I think it's really hard, and I think that's why the strength of you know me reading about leading teams in the paper that kind of cuts through any of the values documents you can see on a, a website or any of the traditional marketing that a business does to try and posture for the best graduates or the best job seekers. Um, you know, that gave me a little insight into what that job looks like. And the truth is I didn't, the stuff that I read about wasn't exactly what I was doing anyway, but I was, I was passionate enough about what that was. I was like, that is awesome. You know, if I can craft a career doing that, that would be great. Um, it's, it's hard and, and not a lot of people ever know what that is that makes them think like, wow, this, this could be really fun, this career. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have, have a view on the, the cover letter application process, um, but I, I've found it really tough. I, I don't know how to exactly convey what, you know, what I am and how that helps them. Mm. I related a little bit to like dating. You can give it your best shot. You can like, you know, present yourself the most authentically you can, but then sometimes you just might not be a good fit for that role. Yeah. You know, and you put a lot of effort into aligning yourself to it, but maybe the alignment's not there that much. And then you also don't know a lot about the role because job descriptions can be vague and you don't know exactly what team you're going to go into until the interview stage, maybe, or, <clears throat> you don't know what the dynamic of that team is. So you're kind of going in a little bit blind and that's why the more research you can do on the organization, look up their website, look up news items, maybe that's in that organization like you did with leading teams. I think that then helps you try to find, try to find that, you know, alignment, but sometimes, yeah, it's, it's hard. Ty. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree, mate. I reckon it's, Sometimes we, as I know clients that I've worked with in the past and when I've applied for roles in the past, it's, it can be difficult to really convey what your thinking is in your mind and why the job is aligned for you and actually put that on paper. Like it's, it's a task. Um, and I think as you were saying, Dan, like sometimes it's like dating. Sometimes there's that chemistry. There's that, 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 you know, you hit it off on the, the first, read of an application um or you really connect with the hiring manager in the in the interview process if you get to that that process um and i think in this day and age there's there's a lot of competition for a lot of a lot of roles and i think that's trying to really double down on that authentic piece around why you truly want to work um for a a a, um a particular company is always going to trump the 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 notion of going, oh, well, I need to try and address all these types of key selection criteria in my cover letter just because the passion is going to shine off the page. And we, and Dubs, we speak to a lot of recruiters on, on this show and, and they always say the same thing around if you're not passionate for the role, if you're not genuinely interested, don't apply because it's going to shine through in your application. Yeah. Um, and just to say what you were saying, man, like, you know, if you, if there's, clearly that your eyes light up if you feel enthusiastic about the role embrace that and let that shine through on your in your cover letter and, and in your application and especially in the interview too when you when you're talking to the the people who are going to be making the decision yeah i think um the the dating um, metaphor is a is an interesting one because i think we're talking about the you know the stages before the first date so like in when it comes to dating, you know, once you're at that first date, you can, you can chat, you can find out if there is chemistry there and something, something available. But I just think like 
when it comes to the job, getting to the interviews, the hardest part. There's so much that needs to be done in the dark to get there. Um, and that, that's just, you know, that's, it's a real challenge. And that probably highlights like 70 or 75% of jobs are filled through networking. And, you know, that's because you almost get a warm lead through that tough initial stage. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, that just proves if you don't have the networking piece, then you're really fighting for that last 25% out of, you know, how many other people. So I'd love to know the, the percentage of like, successful relationships who have who have landed through networking too so it's like hey i know this great guy or girl i'd love to introduce you to them i think you guys would really hit it off it's like the same thing with work like hey i know this this person who wants to make a real impact in this industry you guys would hit it off as well like it's it'd be fascinating to to see if it's up around the 70 75 percent yeah i reckon there's there's certainly something there <laughs> yeah i'd like to change angles if we can I'm really fascinated. I'm really, I'm really fascinated by you know your, your coaching, consulting, facilitation at leading teams, and I think you said red something. Red sky. Red sky, and um, I know you've also got a podcast slash video series where you talk about a few key issues that you see um, in today's society around mental health, masculinity, changing. Um, change room culture so can you talk us through a little bit about what work you do in that space and what are some of the issues you're seeing at the moment and what some of the work you're doing to um alleviate those things it's been a really interesting journey in that sort of space because i like i said i i started playing playing soccer seriously a while ago it's probably been eight or nine years and I've for a long time really been aware that there are parts of that culture that make me feel uncomfortable or that didn't feel like me. And I remember in a lot of teams I used to play in that I used to connect with two or three guys in the team and everyone else just felt so different to me. And so just from another planet um, and you know, not saying it was better or worse, but that's just how I felt. And I, I was aware of that from, you know, age 16, 17. Um, and I've always wanted to kind of see if I could have an impact on that, but I never felt like I had the influence. Um, and then last year in between lockdowns, we were back at training. And I remember one morning I woke up and I was just feeling really flat. And when I feel flat, it's a, you know, labored breathing, just a feeling a bit heavy and kind of carrying um, I don't know, carrying my body weight around for the day um, and a bit distracted and, and those sorts of things. And I got picked up. I drive with three mates to training and I got picked up and I was really quiet at that drive training. And I was basically pumping myself up to act normal around the guys at training. Um, and I got to training and I, I felt really out of it and it, was, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. And I got home that night and I was thinking, that's probably not a good habit that I've gotten into. Um, that's a behavior that I've learned at football. Um, I bet a lot of other people have learned that at football and other sports and in a lot of other areas. Um, I should probably do something about that. Like that's really bad for me personally and for us as a collective. And so off the back of that, I decided to start a video series called Let's Talk um, where I had conversations with past and current teammates about things that I'd never spoken about before in that context and they certainly had never spoken about um, things like mental health and racism and masculinity and, you know, what really what do we really feel about the way our changing rooms are? Um, you know, how do we feel about the way women are discussed at football? You know, that never comes up. There are, you know, it always happens, but there are 20 guys in the room. And I'm sure not everyone is really thrilled about, about that side of things. Um, so yeah. And that was, it was absolutely awesome. It was such a meaningful experience. 
I, I had conversations that I just had never had before and I'd covered ground with people that, you know, we, for all intents and purposes, had a pretty superficial relationship before that. And yeah, I was, I am immensely proud of that, that work. We did a season one and there are about 10, 11 episodes. And I'm actually now moving it over to a podcast um, because I think there's, there's a lot of, um, it's a lot more user-friendly and people can consume it easier. Um, the reason it was a series was because I wanted people to see what it looks like for you know, two guys or two footballers to have these conversations, to look each other in the eye and speak about. Like, I remember my first guest, we were chatting about you know, he, he's not naturally aggressive and he finds it really hard in a football environment. He says, like, I don't know, I used to think, am I less of a man for not being aggressive on the pitch? Um, this is a common question that people have in their heads and they carry with them forever and never say a word about it. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was an awesome thing and brought to light a lot of, a lot of concepts that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it's really nice because I've been working at Heidelberg and, and running a program there. And a big part of the culture that we're building there is about rewarding people for doing great things. So actually telling them, you know, Dan, what you did before, that really inspired me. That was awesome. Like, I really appreciate it. You, you lifted our team in that moment. That was, that was awesome. Um, and actually saying that and telling you face to face and, um, and then on the flip side, being able to have conversations about, you know, what's, what's going wrong here? Is there any counterproductive behaviors that we accept in our team that are holding us back? And once you get to that level of relationship with people, you can have very real conversations and these are conversations that will help drive your performance and a team will perform, you know, it's, it's hard to quantify, but, but so much better having that level of trust and respect in their team. Um, but also at a more base level, like I discussed in that series is I want to be able to come to football and not feel isolated with my problems. I want people that I care about to not just, suffer alone because they don't feel like it's a place that they can open up um, that's that's hugely important to me and what i've gotten from the feedback from from that first season is it's it's a hugely important thing to a lot of people in that world how do you create an environment in a how do you create a situation where it is conducive to people opening up to each other in an environment like a sporting club. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one because it comes often from years and years of people being told to leave their problems at the door. Um, you know, a lot of people have the illusion that to be high performing, you have to be without vulnerabilities and without problems and ready to perform at your 100% every time you rock up at training. Um, now, the problem with that is that your mental state or things that are going on in your life have a huge impact on how you can perform physically. Like, I know when I'm feeling flat, my motivation is nowhere near where it normally is. I know when I'm feeling flat, I don't feel like communicating with people. You know, these are things that I know about myself. And, you know, right now, our, I'm the vice captain at, at my club. and our captain just got injured and, you know, on Saturday I'm going to be leading out the side, which is like an awesome responsibility. We're going to miss him a lot because he's really important for us leadership wise. But I know that if I'm flat, that, that will have an impact on my teammates and how we can perform as a team. You know, I'm going to have to be really loud on Saturday. I already know that. Um, so it starts with those center of influences. So if you've got a team that, has people who are really influential in that changing room who are not only not opening up, but really discourage that sort of behavior. So kind of making a joke of it, if someone brings it up or, you know, knocking it, then to be honest, you're in, you're in a bit of trouble. It's going to be hard. But the one thing you can do is get those centers of influence to realize how important they are to the overall conversation. So if a young guy sees 
senior players having real conversations about things, then he's going to grow up thinking, yeah, I can do that too. And he'll become a senior player one day and he'll continue that process. If it goes the other way, like, you know, when I was young, I never saw any of those conversations. So, you know, I get in the car with my mates and I'm feeling flat and I'm ready to start pushing those emotions down as far as they can go so I can be you know, normal and fun at training. Um, it all starts with you know, taking personal responsibility for it, but you're know, recognizing that sometimes those environments are hard places to get that happening. So you need to get, you know, if you're, if you're a facilitator and consulting to a team like that, you need to get buy-in. You need to get people really believing in, in that vision and taking it forward. Because at the end of the day, like I, I go to Heidelberg once a week or once every two weeks. The culture exists outside of me and it will exist into eternity beyond, you know, just what I do. Um, you're, you're definitely going to need some pretty important people to take ownership of it and feel empowered enough to then drive it forward and, and make it a reality. And it's, it's tough because these conversations are, are hard. They are for sure. But you know, if you have enough people that care about it, you get the weight of numbers, you know, ready to do that hard work, then you're halfway there and you can start building some momentum in that space. It's really fascinating. When I reflect on the times that I've been involved in sporting clubs or even just in the workplace, like you, you do really notice that people feel natural roles. Like if it's the person who, you know, gets everyone up and about is a high energy person, very vocal. Um, when they do step out of the, the room, um, you do really notice that. And I think it's such a good point, man, of being able to, to cover for that and to be able to make sure that the culture and, and the makeup of the, the team can adapt and can draw energy from, from different areas or, or different people. Absolutely. I, I think, I think the key there is that you need to give people in that team ownership over what their culture looks like. You know, it can never come from me or it can never come from a coach. Um, mm. The coach can help drive it. But if you give those players the tools to build their own culture, you know, asking them, you know, this is what I do in a session. What do you stand for as a team? You know, like what, what's really important to us? What, what word would you want other teams to describe this team as like what would make you most proud to be a part of this team? And you start kind of fleshing out, okay, you, you want to be hardworking, you want to be professional, you want to be connected. If I ask you, what does that look like? Tell me what it looks like. Does it mm. mean you walk out of the race altogether every time? Does it mean you check in and you know, actually shake everyone's hand when you get to training and actually ask how they are going? You know, what does it look like? And then once that's happened, your team has built their own standards and their own identity. And then that's the first step for letting them be able to own what they want to stand for as a team. So if someone falls out of line or behaves in a way that's contrary to, to what you'd agreed upon as a team, then it's a senior leader or, or anyone in that group's responsibility to say, hey, like we agreed upon X, Y, Z. Like we need to do better here. Mm. Or you know, this isn't what we stand for as a team. You know, I really care about you as a teammate and we have a relationship where we can have this conversation. But, you know, we need a lift. If we want to achieve our goals, whether it be, you know, winning the league or whatever it is, um, or whether we just want to have the best culture we can have, you know, you need to have players driving it. You see the best sporting teams and best businesses in the world and that's so true. Like the, the coach and I think, you know, Dan, we've, we've both done some coaching and you're getting involved in some senior coaching this year. Um, the big challenge is how can you set up, you know, your environment for the players to be successful at the end of the day, you know, we're standing on the sidelines. We're not out there putting our head over the footy in your case, or, you know, going in for that 50, 50 tackle in my case, like we don't get that privilege, but you know, you have to, the job is actually, it's more meaningful than that. It's like, how can I get them to feel incredibly bored in and 
want to drive this themselves. Sorry, Ty, I was just going to say, just given that, um, empowering them by giving them ownership, really, or, or him or her. I'd love to ask you both a question because I, I just was reflecting on what you were saying, Darby, around giving the team ownership and, and those types of things. Do you think that's a lot easier and a lot more achievable in the sporting context as opposed to a, a business context? Because I feel that it's, the way I see it is that each each week, you know, the team that there's a, I suppose a marker of performance, if it's a win or loss, or if it's um, there's specific stats that you can call upon around um, individual, individual output and those types of things. And I think in business, it can get a little bit more gray. Like I feel like sport can be very black and white. Um, What what are your thoughts, boys? Dan, you want to kick us off? Um, Yeah, I'll try. It's a good question. You're really making me ponder, but um, (laughs) I think it can depend on the workplace too, because some workplaces have, or some roles have more at stake that are instantaneous. So, I mean, if you're working on the, say, the stock market, then that's a daily sort of performance analysis thing as well. But then other roles might be project-based or longer term. So there's not as much like weekly or daily pressure. So I think that's a consideration. But I think as well, like the difference I think that sport has than business is around, I'm trying to articulate it in the right way, but I guess they're going out there and actually putting them physically, their bodies physically on the line. So I think there's also that element of, I don't know how to say it. Can you help me, Darby? Yeah, yeah. So I guess my my initial thing is that absolutely they are different. Sport gets their their weekly performance of, you know, this is how we're going as a team. But the distinction is really clear for me that there are, you know, the mechanics of what you do so that might be your outcome. So whether we win, lose or draw on the weekend or how much profit we make at the end of a quarter or whatever it is, um, those are mechanics. But what we're really focusing on is the process. So the dynamics of how we do it and what we're actually standing for. So when it comes to soccer, I can just as easily review a, a game on the weekend that we've lost 10 nil or that we've won 4-0 in the exact same way. We could have the same sort of review. Um, the key thing is that we are assessing, did we live by what we agreed upon? So we lost 10-0, but we were really bloody hard working. And there were moments where we showed that we're a really connected team. You know, like we just copped 10 goals, but like we were picking each other up and we were still a team by the end of the day. Like that's a great, a great challenge for us in business. There are things that people do that are, I guess, measurable and you can see it. Um, So, you know, someone responding to an email after work hours might be an example of someone going above and beyond, which could be something that you'd want for your team. Um, There are plenty of things that you can review about the way you do things that, are just as reviewable as, as in a sporting club. So, you know, I would argue that, yes, there, there are less clear public outcomes to see, but the outcomes aren't actually the thing that we're, we're dialed into. Where if we're building a culture, we might lose or we might win or we might draw, but the way to build a high-performing culture is to really deeply embed a certain set of behaviours that we believe will help us to be successful moving forward so it might be a year down the track it could be three games forward or you know five years down the track but we're setting up an environment where we can be successful and have a culture where everyone feels like they can perform at their at their best good answer mate good answer i reckon that's the perfect (laughs) perfect way to finish the show something that we do ask all of our guests is this notion of any books or resources that have been a clear highlight for you in the work that you do? And, and I suppose, did you find any two part question? Did you find any resources or books that you really tuned into while you are, have been job seeking? Yeah, it's a good question. I, 
I don't know exactly specific to what I'm doing that, you know, I read the leading teams book. That was, that was great. That was my first little um, kind of insight into what they do um, really and understand what it looks like. So that, that was a great read. Um, that's teamwork by Ray McLean. He's the founder of leading teams. That's a great, great book. Um, but you know, I'm a big reader. I don't think, I think the lines are a bit blurred for me in terms of um, career and personal development and, you know, like what I actually enjoy um, in reality. I think my, my favourite ever book is called um, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi or I can't remember the last name. But that's my favourite book ever. I don't know how specific it is to career, but... It um well actually it is very specific to career, um, but yeah that that was that was my favorite book ever. I've read it twice, both times I've um ended up shedding shedding a tear or two. Um, it's just yeah it, it's an incredible read. So I'm going to put forward that one without it necessarily being the type of book you might have been looking for. Can you give us the synopsis for that book? I think I've been recommended that one before. Yeah. And Danny's eyes lit one... up when you started talking about it. Yeah. yeah so he's... Someone told me that's the best book they've ever read as well. Yeah. It's an absolute ripper. Um, it's, a, it's written by a neurosurgeon um, who he's, he's an incredible writer. He actually did his undergraduate in creative writing. So he's, he's an amazing writer and He's a neurosurgeon that deals with some really complex brain cancer um, cases and he kind of speaks, he, it's about, about his life. Um, and at age 30 or 40, um, he gets diagnosed with, with terminal, I think it was brain cancer or, or something else. So he'd been on the other side of things, treating people in that space for a long time. Um, and then he was all of a sudden plunged into um, the patient side of things. And he's writing this book um, literally as his life is coming to a close and he's kind of rushing to get his, you know, get his book out there. Um, and yeah, it, it's just remarkable. It, it deals with a lot of, um, a lot of things around, around purpose and, um, around end of life and kind of, I think some of the best books have been written by people who are nearing the end of their lives, like that Tuesdays with Murray is an, another great book that is, um, yeah, I just think there's some, some awesome wisdom to be had from people who are right at the end. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, that's a synopsis of, of that book. I love that. I'm roaring now. Yeah, I reckon you might read it in a day or two. Yeah, to get stuck in. I'm excited to hear if you I think 48 hours is my best best effort. <laughs> Darby, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, if listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way they can see your updates or um, tune into the Let's Talk video series or the or the podcast that that might be developing? Yeah. Um, if they want to connect personally, I think LinkedIn's a good place for that. Um, my name's Darby Dexter on LinkedIn. Um, go through Tyson's and probably Daniel's soon connections. If you want to find me in there. Um, yeah, I put a, put some stuff out there on, on LinkedIn. So that would be a cool place. And um, the first season of let's talk is on YouTube and you can just search let's talk NPL football and that will pop up. Um, and yeah, I think I'll probably do for now in terms of plugging myself. I don't, <laughs> don't want it to be too much about me. <laughs> no, man, you're our guest. It's, it's the, the, the way it works. I understand it's the, the way of the land, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm comfortable with two, two platforms to start with. Cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your insights, mate. Loved it. Me too. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Arrive and Thrive podcast, please let us know by sharing it with a connection and leaving a review. We hope that through this podcast, even more people can design a career and life that they love and are proud of. See you soon.